0: Well, today I want to talk to you about heaven. Heaven, the land of wonder. John Eldridge, in his book Journey of Desire, says that nearly every Christian he has met and spoken to has some idea that eternity is going to be kind of like an unending church service. <laughs> Gary Larson, who is the author of *Farside*. Side cartoons. Anybody familiar with Far Side cartoons? They're just a little wacky, okay. You got to get inside the animal to understand the joke uh, because it's a joke that animals make on people, that kind of a thing, but it's, it's usually kind of crazy humor. And uh, he, he describes heaven this way. He says many people think of heaven like a, a man with angel wings and a halo who's sitting on a cloud and he's got the expression on his face of someone who has just been marooned on an island and has absolutely nothing to do. And the caption to the joke to the picture is, I wish I'd brought a magazine along. (laughs) Sunday school teacher was teaching her class of young boys and she said, who wants to go to heaven? And their hands just shot up in the air all except for one little boy by the name of Johnny who kind of sat there very sullen and puzzled looking. And the teacher said, Johnny, don't you want to go to heaven? And Johnny said, well, I, I guess so. To which the teacher said, well, why didn't you raise your hand when all of the other kids in the class did? And he said, well, he said, my my mommy made a chocolate cake, and I was hoping to be able to go home for dinner and have some of it. <laughs> well, I want to talk to you this morning about heaven. I wouldn't. I want to do it in a way that maybe you've never experienced it before. I don't want to tell you specifically about what heaven's going to be like. Um, th- that's really hard, but I want to do the best I possibly can. Uh, to help you expand your horizons of what heaven might be like. We think of heaven as clouds and angels and harps, and I don't know about you, but I can, I mean, I love to sing, and I think angels are going to be great, and I love the sound of a harp, but for eternity, if that's all, I'm not sure that even begins to scratch the surface of what eternity is going to be about for those of us who know the Lord and love him and will be there so in your outline today if you want to follow along I hope you will think hard because I kind of want to plumb the depths of what you're capable and I'm capable of explaining and you're capable of understanding and and just expand your horizon so number one is that heaven is unseen right now, but it's very real. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, the author Paul writes these words, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. There are a couple of factors that uh, influence my thinking about heaven as being unseen, but very, very real. The first is what I would call the scientific factor. There's a book that's been written by Hugh Ross. It came out a number of years ago. He's a doctor. And in his book, he cites the fact that physicists have uncovered strong evidence that there are extra dimensions that exist beyond the four dimensions that we know in our current ability to see the four dimensions that we have. You and I know three space dimensions. We know height and width and depth, and we have one dimension in time. And we see our world through those dimensions and really only those dimensions in our material world. So look at the coffee cup. Mark Buchanan in his book makes this observation. The coffee cup has width, height, depth, and keeps existing through each circuit of my clock on the wall. Its existence is within Earth's space-time continuum. But what if there are more dimensions than just three space dimensions and one time dimension? What if, what if space has four dimensions instead of three? Or maybe eight, or maybe 16? To get a sense of what that might be like if there were more dimensions than what you and I currently can see with our own eyes. Um, Imagine that we were able to observe only two dimensions instead of three. Suppose we could see width and depth, but no height. The cup would become invisible. We would not be able to see it with our eyes. So, we have to wonder if heaven is really true and if there are more space dimensions than you and I are used to, if there are perhaps 11 dimensions, there may be things that are way beyond what we've ever seen before. Almost, in fact, indescribable. I think that's true of heaven. Jesus had a physical body And yet, before Jesus died on the cross, he was able to walk on water. I don't know of anybody that's been able to do that. There's something different about that. There's something extra-dimensional about that. But if you want to go a step further, think of Jesus after his resurrection, meeting with the twelve in the upper room, and he all of a sudden appears. He doesn't open the door, doesn't turn a knob, he just is there. He vaporizes. He... And the Bible says that his resurrection is the first fruits of ours. So I have to come to the conclusion that when you and I die, and then when the resurrection takes place and we get new bodies, that there will be things that you and I are capable of doing with our bodies and things that we are capable of hearing and seeing and knowing that we've never known before. It's bigger than anything you've ever seen before. Bigger than anything you've even imagined before. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Dear friends, Now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So science would lead us to believe that it's very possible, almost certain, that heaven has more dimensions than you and I are used to, and we will understand those and live in those, and it will be beyond anything that you've ever experienced in your life. There's a physical factor that helps me believe that although heaven is unseen, it's very real. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me That you also may be where I am. Heaven is a real physical place. We will have real physical bodies. Heaven is unseen, but very real, very tangible. God likes bodies. We will not be disembodied spirits when we get to heaven. We will have bodies. How do I know? I will know because Jesus had a body when he was was raised from the dead. God likes physical things. They matter to him. Bodies matter to him. To rip heaven of its physical properties smacks of an ancient prophecy or an ancient heresy known as dualism. Plato, one of the ancients, used to say that the body is the prison house of the soul. It led a lot of people in Greek and Roman culture to believe that they could do anything with their bodies that they wanted to because the body they thought was material and therefore evil and they could do anything they wanted to with their bodies and it didn't matter. It's what They did with their soul that mattered. But Jesus was totally against that. Jesus spoke of the body as being the temple of the Holy Spirit. Something very, very special. The astounding revelation comes to us in the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation that the new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven and it will land on the new earth. I have a trick question for you. When the new Jerusalem comes to land on the new earth, where will it land? Chicago? <laughs> new York? LA? Sydney, Australia? Where will it land? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem. There are some theologians that believe that the new heaven and the new earth will actually mingle together. I'm not sure about that. I think there's some good arguments for it. Nevertheless, you and I will be able to either go from one to the other in physical bodies at the speed of light, probably, um, and do things that are just unimaginable to, unimaginable to us in our current lives. Heaven will be so tangible and so real that our present reality will seem intangible and shadowy and empty. Heaven is unseen but real. Say that with me. Heaven is unseen but real. It's as real as the chair you're sitting on. It's as real as the car that you'll drive home in. It's as real as the house that you live in. Jesus has gone before us to prepare a place for us. A real place. It is currently unseen, but very real. Secondly, heaven is more, not less. More, not less. And here are some factors that influence my thinking about the fact that heaven is more and not less. I remember when I was a, just a young boy, we lived in Chicago. Uh, the, uh, the most famous uh, roller coaster, I think at least in the country at that time, was the Bobs, um, and it was a wooden roller coaster, didn't do the loop-de-loops, they hadn't developed technology to do that kind of thing by then, but it was just an amazing thing. And my dad was in the television industry, so we had TV almost before anybody else did. I was born in 1945, and I remember watching TV when I was just a little bitty kid. Um, and I asked my dad one day, "Daddy, um, is is there gonna is there gonna be roller coasters in heaven? Is is there gonna is there gonna be TV in heaven? Fill the blank." will there be blank in heaven our perceptions of heaven are are tainted and shaped by and influenced by our perceptions of what's going on around us let, let me give you an illustration You've maybe listened to Christian radio, and over the last several weeks, in fact, months, in fact, it's been three years, I believe, since he's been incarcerated in a prison in China. John Cao has been in a prison. Uh, He's been in a cell with 12 prisoners sharing one bed for three years. He's lost 50 pounds. Um, He's currently being, the State Department is doing everything they can to get him out of there. But I, I want you to think about what heaven would be like in the mind of John Cowell compared with what heaven might be like in the mind of us as rather pampered Americans. John Cowell probably can't wait, probably can't wait. But you and I look at heaven and we think of... Yeah, are we going to lose something? It's so easy for you and me as Americans to get caught up in the American dream. When I was just a boy, um, my folks first lived in an apartment in Chicago. Um, my dad was telling me about five or six years ago that he remembers when the, the coal truck would come by and would kind of come by with a chute that would send the coal down the chute through a like a basement window almost, and the coal would come down into the basement. And uh, that's what they used to heat the house. Uh, Mary Ellen grew up in... Uh, in a rural kind of a house setting in uh, Isanti County in Oxlip, Minnesota. That's a funny name, Oxlip. And there just wasn't much. When when I got uh, got to be five years old, my folks moved to the suburbs. Ooh, ooh. and we had a nice brick house that at the time cost them $15,000. And uh, d- later on, uh, dad added uh, a paved driveway and uh, a two-car garage with a cupola on top of it, with a little weather vane on top of that. We are living high on the hog. Now we've got, I moved into a house that had a one-car garage, still does, just had a shed built, have put most of my junk in the shed, and now I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to put, other, put the rest of the junk. Some of us have two car, three car, four car, five car, six car. I'm not saying anything about having material things, but I am saying that the abundance of material things can almost, almost put us to the place where we are afraid that by going to heaven we might lose something. Are you following me? Do you catch my drift? It seems sometimes that the Bible says more about what there won't be in heaven than what there will be. What there won't be, we can really understand. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more death. Whew, that's great. But what about... Positive things. Sometimes the positive things are so characterized in Scripture, like, uh, like pearls that are large enough to be a gate into the city, and no sea, S-E-A, and just some phenomenal descriptions that are just like, huh? What's that all about? So, the question is, what about some positive pleasures on earth? Will they be missing also in heaven? Let me again offer you a question that C.S. Lewis offers in one of his books. I'll let you fill the blank. It's a three letter word. If you're young, you'll probably get it quicker than if you're older. Will there be in heaven? The word starts with the letter S, ends with the letter X. (laughs) You got that one? It's not socks. (laughs) No, seriously. Here's what he says. He says, there won't be blank in heaven, not because it has atrophied, but because it is engulfed. There won't be certain things in heaven, not because we're going to miss them, but because they will be engulfed by something that is so much better and so much bigger. Let me ask you kids a question. What's the most popular candy on the market these days? I can't tell you. Tic-tac? I can't tell you. There's so much out there. I can't tell you. Okay. 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 Um, What if I were to tell you that there won't be any Kit Kats in heaven? (laughs) Tom would love it. No Kit Kats. (laughs) Suppose I told you there was something in heaven that would be so much bigger and appetizing and satisfying and just great that you'd never even think about Tic Tacs again. Then there's the maturity factor. This is another thing that influences me to think that heaven is more and not less. In 1 Corinthians, we read this. And I want you to read it together with me. It's gonna be on the screen here pretty soon. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses nine through 12. Do you have that, guys? There we go. Let's read it together. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face, now I know in part, then I shall speak, f- no, excuse me, let me start over. Then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. Notice the times the word child or childish is used five times. Now we see but a poor reflection in an old mirror that's lost its silver. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. Do you want to know how much you and I know about heaven? Look at me. You want to know how much we know about heaven? We don't begin to fathom the depths. Our knowledge about heaven is kind of like a little kid that first learns that two and two equals four compared to the mathematician who can do trigonometry, calculus, stuff that's beyond most of us. Heaven will be more, not less when it comes to our understanding of heaven, we're like little kids. There are some things children just don't get. They don't understand it yet. The potential is there, but it's not gotten into full bloom. And there are some things about heaven that you and I not only don't understand now, but we won't until we get to heaven. One more factor, I call it the literary factor, that shapes my thinking About the fact that heaven is going to be more and not less, and it's this: what is that? It's a road. What's that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I went North Dakota, yeah, or Nebraska. I knew a farmer in my church that was Nebraska, and he cut, he cut down all the trees on his property so that he could have a farm. It was just, I mean, trees. When, when we first moved to Minnesota back in 04, I remember candidating at the church in, uh, in Little Falls, and as we were driving along the highway, I turned to Mary Ellen and I said, Trees! Trees! I mean, there were more pine trees in the space of a mile than I'd ever seen in a space of about 100 miles in Nebraska. We love it in Minnesota, by the way. The literary factor. Add to all that I've said thus far the fact that the biblical writers had their backs to the wall when they were trying to describe heaven. Now, you and I know what that is because we've experienced it. And, and we're able to experience the depth of it because artists and even picture takers have taken the pictures and drawn the pictures in such a way that things narrow as they get further on. That's just to give us the perspective of dimension, even though there really is no depth in the picture itself because it's just on a flat piece of paper. Now think about that and trying to describe it to somebody in Burkina Faso, Africa or even farther off than that in some jungle in Indonesia or wherever where people have never even seen anything like that and and try to explain it to them. You're you're kind of at a loss for words. Stripe down the middle? What for? So, when you and I try to explain heaven's dimensions with earth's pictures and words, we're at a loss for words. Paul described heaven this way on the road to Damascus when he was converted, he fell off his horse, and later he wrote these words describing that experience. In Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses two and four, two through four. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether it was in my body or out of my body, I don't know, only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body, but I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they can't be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. You and I will not be shortchanged in heaven. God is not a bait-and-switch salesman. When Jesus spoke of the kingdom of heaven, he often used this phrase, how much more. Say with me these words. Heaven is more, not less. Heaven is more, not less. Just a few scriptures and I end with a story. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. You and I should aim for heaven. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Fix our eyes on and Jesus, author Timothy Jones wrote these words we cannot live rightly in this world until we aim past this life eternity provides us the only goal that makes ultimate sense of our lives in this world it's like the technique and concentration of karate can we have the next slide You have to aim past what you're hitting. Anybody seen The Karate Kid, the first movie? Let me tell you a little bit about it. It's a movie about a skinny, skittish boy named Daniel who moves from New Jersey to L.A. He's been roughed up a bit and ostracized by some of the kids in his neighborhood, some of the toughs. So he decides he wants to learn karate so that he can defend himself and retaliate. He meets a, a gardener, a Japanese gardener who lives in the apartment complex nearby. Mr. Miyagi. He wants to learn from Mr. Miyagi how to do karate. And so Mr. Miyagi makes him a deal. He said, You come to the house next tomorrow morning and I'll 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 show you. I'll tell you what, what we'll do is we'll trade we'll trade me teaching you karate for a few jobs that I'd like to have you do around the house. So, Daniel, or Daniel-sen, as the Japanese man calls him, shows up the next morning. He's just all eager and excited, and, well, uh, Mr. Miyagi says, well, I've got some classic cars in the back. I want you to come around and see them. He goes around and see them, and they're all, the finish is all dull on them, and he says, he says, daniel I want you to take your right hand, and I want you to move it. Clockwise like this. This is, this is wax. 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 And then I want you to take your left, your left arm and hand and I want you to go like this with this other cloth. This is wax off. Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. So I don't know how many cars there are, but Daniel is doing that all day, and he's just pooped by the end of the day, but he's still excited, and he comes back the next day, a little less cocky, but still very eager to find out what it is that Mr. Miyagi wants him to do this time. And so it's another menial job. It's painting a fence. It's painting this monster of a six-foot fence that's all around the yard on both sides, And again, Mr. Miyagi is very particular about how he's supposed to do it. It's long strokes. You know, make the wrist go like this, you know, just keep going. And so Danielson does that all day, and he's exhausted by the end of the day. And this goes on and on and on. After he got done doing that, it was, you know, the deck. You've got to sand the deck. You know, and you got to do it with these tight scrubbing motions. You know, Daniel works till exhaustion. Until one day, he says, "Mr. Miyagi, coming back from going fishing, and he's got these big fish on his stringer right next to him." And Daniel, by this time, is just exhausted. He just—he's he, so mad at the fact that Mr. Miyagi's been able to go out and fish, and he's just had to work like a slave all day. And so, when he sees Mr. Miyagi, Daniel's all sweaty and weary and angry, and he stands the old man down. And this is what he says You told me that you'd teach me karate, and all you've done is make me your slave. I quit. And he starts to walk away. Danielson, what? Come here. Come here, Danielson. In a strong, commanding voice, Daniel swaggers back, sullen, defiant. Danielson, show me wax on, wax off. Danielson does it kind of sulkily and lazily, going through the motions. No, Danielson, not like that, like this. Miyagi says with fire and steel in his voice. Daniel straightens up and obedient he does the motions with precision, force, and focus. Good. Now show me paint, fence. Daniel does it listlessly. And Miyagi explodes. No, do it with swiftness and hardness. Now show me Sand deck. And Danielson this time does it right. And then all of a sudden, Mr. Miyagi starts to hit and kick at Daniel. And Daniel, to his amazement, with motions of waxing car, painting fence, and sanding deck, blocks every hit. It's been a secret apprenticeship. He was learning karate unawares. Mark Buchanan in his book, Things Unseen, says this. Listen closely. We often wonder what use our work is. Dreary, wearying, seems devoid of higher purpose. We wonder why God is so, so picky Demanding about doing things his way rather than some other way that seems easier and less painful, less boring, and more engaging to us. We're bewildered by life's bursts of hurtful events mixed with long stretches of numbing uneventfulness. It's a secret apprenticeship for heaven. The disappointments, the setbacks, the hurt, the anguish, the long days, the difficult relationships. It's an apprenticeship for heaven. You have to think past what you're hitting. I've seen karate guys and gals come down with their hands on boards that just seemed like how in the world are they going to get through all those? Does it hurt? I'm sure it hurts. But with poise and strength and swift movement looking beyond what they're hitting they crack the boards. heaven. But you have to look past what you're hitting. In fact, I want you to say it with me this way. I am going to look past what I'm hitting. Say that with me. I am going to look past what I'm hitting. Do you know why? It's because the rewards in heaven are connected to our faithfulness on earth. So look past what you're hitting. Because what you will see when you get there is more awesome, more phenomenal, more, 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 more than anything you've ever seen in your life pray with me lord jesus we are we are christians but we're American Christians. And with that comes a lot of uh, privilege and a lot of freedom and a lot of, a lot of material things. And I don't know whether they have an expression in China that's like the American dream. Do they call it the China dream? Do the Christians in North Korea call it the Korean dream? Not that there's anything wrong with material stuff. But we can get so we can get so earthly minded that and so attached to Earth and so lassoed by Earth. that we hardly ever think about heaven. And when we do, we kind of think in meager terms. Help us, Lord, to uh, expand our horizons. Help us to somehow come to grips with the wonder and the beauty and the, the awesomeness of heaven that's greater than anything we've ever seen in our lives. And help us in the days ahead until the day we die to press toward the mark for the high calling of Jesus heavenward. And let us for the rest of our lives aim past what we're hitting. In Jesus' name. Amen.